0: We're picking up here in chapter 44 in our study, the patriarch uh, 44 Genesis, and we really are not quite done with, but in the middle of the fourth and final test that Joseph sets for his brothers. Let's review a little bit, if you want, with me. In chapter 42, verse uh, 13 and following, the test uh, is that Joseph sets is to care for their younger brother. Because he was left back in Canaan, and that's the first test. Then the second test is chapter 42, verses 35, 36, and so on. That's the test of honesty, where he he Joseph orders that the money they paid for the for the food and so on is put back in their satchels. They go back to Canaan. They find that they're absolutely terrified. The third test is uh, much of chapter 43, but it kind of culminates in the end, which a test of jealousy. Because if you remember, they have this elaborate meal uh, with Joseph and so on. Joseph is actually a petition that separates them. Anyway, they have this elaborate meal. And if you remember, Benjamin, because now Judah has organized this, but they brought Benjamin down to Egypt and so on. And Benjamin receives five times more food than everybody else. And that's very shrewd on Joseph's part. Are they jealous? Because they were jealous of him, that is, of Joseph. The fourth test, which we're kind of in the middle of, is really sort of a combination of all three. It's the fourth and final one, but it's all three elements: caring for the younger brother, honesty, and and then are they they suffer from the sin kind of jealousy? And so all this is being tested because <clears throat> so you might remember. And I, again, I'm not going to read the first five six verses again, but. As they are leaving to go back to Canaan, Joseph instructs that his silver cup be placed in their, one of the satchels, the satchel of Benjamin, and so on. And that is discovered, and, and so on. And this whole issue is coming to a head with um, Judah stepping up. And um, I want to kind of pick up, if I can, in verse 18. But that's this section, the first 17 verses of chapter 44. So that's kind of a summary. Are you with me? Are there questions about any of that? But what I want you to notice, and this is long. Some of this is repeating and summarizing what 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 has already happened. But what we're seeing here in chapter we verse 18, following, is Judah. Judah becomes a major leader. Judah is a changed man. And again, you you have to remember that kind. You have to go back several chapters. With that horrible situation with Tamar and all that stuff, but he repents as a result of that sin. We saw him exerting some leadership in a conversation with his father Jacob about all of this, and says, "Dad, if we want food, we have to do what he's saying." Now Judah is stepping up and asserting leadership in his in the discussion with Judah with Joseph. Then Judah went up to him. the him would be Joseph. He said, "Oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears." Let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. It's an extraordinary statement, but it's accurate. He's the second most powerful man in Egypt. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have your father or a brother? And we said, We have a father, an old man, a young brother, the child of his old age, his brother's dead. And he is left alone with his mother's children. His father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said, the boy cannot leave his father, for if we leave his father, your father would die. Then he said to your servants, lest your youngest brother come down to you, you shall not see my face again. Verse 24, again, Judah is just rehearsing all this. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told the words of my Lord. Our father said, go again, buy us this little food. We cannot go down if your youngest brother doesn't go with us, Then we will go down. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. And your servant, my father, said, you know that my wife bore two sons. One left me, and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces, and I will never see him again. So, of course, referring to Joseph, as Jacob understands it. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him. He will bring my gray hairs in evil to shield. And he concluded, now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with me then, as his life is bound up in the boy's life. And as soon as he sees that the boy is not with thee, he will die. And your servant will bring down the gray hairs of your servant or father down. Sorrow to shield. For your servant, now this is Judah speaking, the promise he made to his dad. For your servant, meaning I, Judah, became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord that the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if this boy's not with me? For I fear to see the evil that will find my father. So again, I I read all that, even though you knew all that. I read all that because you see, Judah is taking on the role as leader, but there is a self-sacrificial loyalty here. He is so, and this is genuine, and I believe this seriously, he's genuinely expressing concern for his dad for his dad's health and for the family i made this pledge i'm willing to die i'm willing to take the place of my brother please let me do this i believe and it's what we'll see this in, in chapter 45 i believe this breaks joseph's heart i believe when he sees the sincerity of judah when he hears him him judah making this appeal this is the final straw that broke the camel's back. This is the final straw that really melts Joseph. And I think it's, it's kind of a confirmation of the strategy they had. I'm going to test my brothers because I know what they did to me. <clears throat> and I know what, what terror they brought on my father, Jacob, thinking that I'm dead and all this. Have they changed? I think at this point, especially with Judah's words, Joseph reached a conclusion. They have changed men. They're different men than when I, twenty. it's about 20-some years now, uh, uh, earlier that that had happened. So chapter 45, then, is is a very strategic chapter in the argument of the book of, of Genesis. And especially in 12 through 50 on the patriarchs. Then Joseph could not control him, in verse one forty-five. could not control himself before all who stood by him. He cried, make everyone get out from me. So no one stayed with Joseph, no with him, when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Presumably these are the servants and other Egyptians, etc. It's just Joseph and his brothers. He wept aloud. So that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said, to his brothers, I am Joseph. Now, this is strategic silence here. (laughs) I want you to think about that. These brothers hear him speak, say, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers cannot answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. I'm honestly not convinced that's the best way to translate that. ESV is the translation I use. They're translating the main verb, dismay. A better better word, it's really two words, that capture the essence of that Hebrew word, are confused and terrified. Now that, you generally, in a good translation, you don't take one word from the original and bring two or three words into the English. You're going to have, instead of a chapter of 45 verses, you're going to have a chapter of 89 verses you know so you just don't do that and that's not good translation but I, it's hard to say i certainly don't want to be critical of these scholars but it really is important for us to understand and i think that makes sense this is going to be confusing these guys it's going to be terrifying why would it be terrifying because of slavery yeah revenge he's a powerful man he has the command of all the Egyptian armies and all the power of, go- of the state of Egypt. My, oh my, oh my, he could bring ruin upon us. So, I mean, it's just, when you know, we read a sentence like this, you know, I am Joseph, etc. we pass over it, Yeah, and we know what's going to happen. But, I mean, try to, we're trying to put ourselves in a place to these brothers. This is truly an unbelievable thing for them to hear. I've seen a ghost. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it's like for 20-some years, I mean, they had no idea what happened to him. I guess they assumed he was probably dead. But at least he, they knew he was sold into slave for lives and so on. So, I mean, this is just an unimaginable thing for you and me to imagine. The emotion they're feeling, the dread they're feeling, the dismay they're feeling, the terror they're feeling, the confusion they're feeling. What? <laughs> so what follows here is, and what follows in in this chapter, is one of the most marvelous statements of theology, one of the marvelous statements of faith, one of the most marvelous statements of understanding the sovereignty of God, how it applies to daily life, that you can find in the Bible. Here's a man speaking, it's Joseph, but a man speaking practically. With all of us theology in back of it. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. I'm in verse four. And they came near. And he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me. Why? Because
1: God sent me before you to preserve life.
0: If you were Joseph and all that had happened to you and all your brothers, would you have said that time? Would you even think about saying it that way? So here you see Joseph, I mean, this is, this is, extro- this is an extraordinary statement of faith. It, it bears no, no even small residue of vengeance in Joseph's heart. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was happening to me. I had no idea what was going to happen in my life, but God did this. He sent me here to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years that are, we know the plowing, remember the famine would last for seven years. And then, then he, listen, he gives a second reason. Verse seven, and God sent me before you to preserve you, a remnant on earth, and to keep alive, alive for you, many survivors. So it's not only to preserve life, because as you'll see in a minute, the clan of Jacob is 70, they're going to all come down to Goshen to preserve life, but also to preserve the life of all of eastern Mediterranean, because all of the eastern Mediterranean is coming down to Egypt to buy food. So it's not just the clan, it's all people, because God is interested in human life. Human beings are his image bearers. It is important in his common grace that he be the one who can provide for them. So Joseph makes this extraordinary big picture statement. And secondly, listen, God sent me to preserve for you a remnant on earth. Now, that word remnant is a very important word in the Bible. It's kind of all over the place. It's quite central to the book of Romans particularly, but It's focusing on their, meaning uh, Jacob's family, the boys, what will be the 12 tribes. They're the remnant. What remnant? The covenant remnant. You guys are the remnant who will implement all aspects of the covenant. And so he's, I mean, this is, to me, I mean, every time I read and study this, I think, Did Joseph sit down and say, I'm going to take out a piece of paper for God, and I'm going to start to itemize why you let this happen to me. I know what my list would be. It wouldn't be this stuff. (laughs) And I'm being a little facetious here, but I mean, this is an extraordinary understanding of the big picture, what God's doing. I'm not here to preserve life. I'm here to preserve a remnant. You guys. Their survivors are the remnant that will implement all, and I should say, bring about the fulfillment of all aspects of Abraham's covenant, land, seed, and blessing. Because if Jacob and his sons starve to death, and they all are wiped from the face of the earth, what does that say about God? He doesn't keep his promises. He's not a covenant making, covenant keeping God. He's not a God of chesed. Remember that important Hebrew word that I tried to teach you? So, I mean, it's just, I walked in. I mean, Joseph was a young kid when he was sold into slavery. And yet you just see him saying something that reflects deep thinking, a deep theological understanding, and a very deep understanding of God. And there's a third purpose, verse 8. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, a lord of his house, and a ruler over that land of Egypt. Can you think of any more profound summary of God's sovereignty than this? This is one of the reasons. I mean, this. I mean, statements like this in the Bible, and when you personalize it with an individual like Joseph, Chuck Swindoll says, we should eliminate from our language words like chance, luck, coincidence, fate. Now, this is two thousand twenty-two. This is. 1876 B.C. It's almost 4,000 years ago. What was true 4,000 years ago from the mouth of Joseph? Is it still true today? Do you believe that? Do you look at your life this way? Do you look at where you are right now doing what you're doing, whatever your age, whatever the context and all that, you're doing where you are. Do you look at that as a result of God's sovereign providential involvement in your life? Are you here just because it's coincidence? Well, wow, this happened and this happened. It's just random and kind of fake. You know, I'm I, you know, watching the program and I, I don't even know what it was. Well, the universe has worked itself out. And I looked at her and I said, what in the world does that mean? You no, know, they, whatever, whatever, they don't want to talk about God. They don't want to talk about his sovereignty. They don't want to talk about his problem. so they use this ridiculous word universe, whatever in the world that means. But you see, it's so hard for human beings to understand and process everything that they're occurring and say, I am a product of randomness. Things just happen. And it's just—it's hard for us to accept that. The Bible is giving us the construct of how we should look at it. And I absolutely agree with Chuck Swindoll. If we really believe what Joseph is saying, he's personalizing for his life. But if we really believe the theology back of that, that God is sovereign and his providence, his providence means he's involved, he's working on his plan, is real, then we should eliminate coincidence, fate, chance, luck, all that stuff from our vocabulary. I would love to see Christians start to talk more about God than they do with one another, and I would love to see Christians go back to what used to be the case 150 years ago or so, certainly going back to the Reformation the 16th century, talk about the moral language, sin, grace, redemption, mercy, compassion, love, those, those important, the moral vocabulary of Christianity. I, I would just really like to see Christians do that. And, and and it isn't it isn't insignificant, or it doesn't mean we don't talk about you know, how the Huskers didn't which what we talk about, but how <laughs> the ball scores in you know, baseball were or the weather. I mean, there's nothing wrong with them, but you know, to talk, you know, it's really significant. I gotta tell you, guys, what God did yesterday. Do you mind if you know and just talk about the things of God if we really believe what Joseph says <laughs> then we should see his hand. I just finished, in one of my other Bible studies, early Wednesday morning, we just finished a study of the book of Esther. And in the book of that, God, God is not mentioned once. But his footprint is all over that book. And that's how we studied it. And I mean, it. I was I was a little skeptical. They said they wanted to study it. I was a little skeptical. This is all men. These are businessmen and doctors and lawyers and... Some are retired, some are not. And they want to study Esther? And I like, oh my goodness. Because I was thinking, innocent. But it was, it was one of the most exciting studies we've done for us. These guys were so engaged. Because what I was trying to do is get them to apply all this to their lives. And thinking about God has a purpose and a plan. And Haman, energized and powered by Satan, is trying to wipe out the Jewish people. How did he make sure that didn't happen? Well, he just happened to have a young Jewish girl. And it just, it just happens. It just happens. When you study the book of Esther, you don't use coincidence, fate, luck. You don't use those words. That's it. All right, now I'm done going down all these money trails. But I'm trying to really impress on you. Don't do not quickly brush over what Joseph just said. He sees three purposes. God sent me. God sent me. He sent me. You didn't send me but God did. I am in the position of power and authority because God did it. Now let's watch what He does through me. How old is Joseph at this time? How what? How old is oh. Joseph? He's probably in his 40s. He's pretty young. Or do I yeah, he's broke. Oh, no, he is. Yeah. We estimate that. Uh, <clears throat> As you'll see, the year, and this is from all my study and stuff, I didn't go back and dig up all the original documents, but we're at about 1876 B.C., okay? That's when Jacob enters into Egypt and brings the clan down. So this, with Joseph, he and and what had happened to him, this is about, he's about 40. Late 30, 38, 39, but more than likely early 40s, okay. Verse 9, now, what I find so fascinating is he's given this fantastic perspective on his life, and he gives this command, hurry, go up and get my father. <laughs> you know, it's like, say to him, the sons, the sons, that says your son Joseph, God is maybe Lord of Egypt. come down to me, do not tarry. You will dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you for they have five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have did not come to poverty. And now you I see, you guys my brother, and Benjamin see, that it is my mouth, this is Joseph, my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all the, my honor in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry, bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. Benjamin wept upon his neck. But he kissed all his brothers, wept upon them, and after the, that, his brothers talked with him. But just an extraordinary theme of reconciliation. No vengeance, no revenge, no settling scores. It's reconciliation. Based on what? His understanding of his, of his God
1: and what God was doing.
0: Sound doctrine produces godly living Joseph's doctrinal truth and understanding of his God
1: explains this
0: so now I would think that the tension and, and the feelings of guilt
1: shame and fear
0: are neutralized I meant all the brothers, not, not Joseph, but the brothers. That sense of guilt which we've seen come up again and again in the last several chapters. This is happening to us because of what we did to Joseph. Remember they kept saying that? And that? Now this is neutralized by Joseph. His doctrinal understanding of God explains why he's where he's at and explains why he gives the order go get that. Now that just neutralizes, reduces that fear. Jill and shame. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Eliminate from all vocabulary coincidence, fate, luck. I mean, look at this. Pharaoh, this is the II. It's Pharaoh this time. Say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts. Go back to the land of Canaan. Take your father and your household to come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you shall eat the fat of the land. And Joseph, and you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives, and your father to come, have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Coincidence? Luck? No. this is the crucial cocoon in which the nation of Israel will be born the safety the abundance the security of Egypt it's not going to be in the land of Canaan which is filled with the antagonists that are inhabiting the promised land that God promised Abraham in Genesis 12 7. No it's not going to to happen there it's going to happen in the security protection and abundance of Egypt. Coincidence? God's design.
1: It's God's design. So who is Pharaoh?
0: He's just a little speck on the page of history. I mean, he's not, I, know, I, don't, I don't know what I think, he's not important. We don't know anything significant about him from the Bible's perspective. This is the most important thing he did. We know very little about the II, quite frankly. But this is the most important thing he did. He sanctioned enthusiastically embraced bringing the Jews down to Goshen. Verse 21, the sons of Israel did so. Joseph, remember the sons of Israel, Israel's Jacob's covenant name. Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. Each and all of them he gave a change of clothes. But to Benjamin he gave three hundred shekels of silver, and five changes of clothes. To his father, he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt, ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said, Do not quarrel on the way. (laughs) Why do you think Joseph said that? He knew his brothers, didn't he? <laughs> the Hebrew is called Gizerim. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh. So I mean it <clears throat> he understood who they are, and he's just making it don't quarrel. And it's, it's superintending all of this is, is God. Be thankful for what God is doing. Here. It's just um, I, I'm just I'm almost overwhelmed every time I study this. that Joseph's understanding of that. Where did he get this? How did he develop this kind of faith and understanding? We don't know in one sense, but in the same sense, there's absolutely nothing negative said about Joseph in the Bible. So whether it was, you know, the the family clan, the instructions, because it's it's only 70 people, but, you know, and the the family family itself is terribly dysfunctional. But Joseph, it's just, in some way, Joseph developed this understanding. It's his faith, his personal relationship with God, and what God has done in his life. One of the 9,768 questions on it keep growing. It was 62, now 68 questions I want to ask God. I I really, I don't understand how this could develop. But that's not important, in a sense. It doesn't matter how this all, how Joseph developed this, but he did. Credible faith, credible understanding. Faith is built on content, what you understand about God, your experience. Have you seen God be faithful to you in the past? i built your faith. And then this this growth of a confident trust in you. Content, experience leads to confident trust. 2 Corinthians 5 7, we walk by faith not by sight. Here's Joseph. I mean, it's just marvelous illustration of this.
2: This yeah, is Woody. I have a thought on on Joseph. Yeah, go ahead. I think that the Lord gave him many gifts uh, to understand what was going on, and uh, he could discern the dreams of himself and Pharaoh. And uh, he just had a way about him that, that that had to be a gift right there, with the. Uh, Gift that Joseph was given to understand and be able to forgive his brothers and, and see it as God's will.
0: Well, I think you said a lot there, Woody, but I, w- I would agree with you. you know, I mean, this is, um, it was part of his giftedness, I suppose, is the word you use from God. But it's that, it is that very, very remarkable, almost inexplicable trust in God. Not the circumstances. And that's why, and this is not an original thought with me, we, we really see two options in our walk with God. We either are going to live a circumstance-controlled life or a God-controlled life. There aren't any other options. And Joseph, Joseph to me, really illustrates and absolutely manifests that I'm choosing to live a God-controlled life. I don't understand. But the circumstances that Joseph that shaped Joseph would have overwhelmed me. I would have felt betrayed I'd have felt let down I'd have felt not, not Joseph And so you see this remarkable individual that uh, <coughs> he illustrates that and you're right, Woody you're absolutely right all right let's finish this chapter in 46. so they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to the father Jacob and told him Joseph's still alive he's ruler over the land of Egypt Now let's stop there for just a minute. You're Jacob. You're an old man. You're you're not too far from dying. And you hear this. (laughs) Okay? And his heart became numb, for he did not believe him. That's understandable. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he said to them, when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry them, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel, and is his covenant name, and Israel said, it is enough. Joseph my son is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. <clears throat> I, I just, it's another one of these, these passages. You just reflect on this and try to think about, for Joseph, the emo, excuse me, Jacob, the emotion of hearing this. My boy's alive. First incredul- incredulous, no, he's not. But he sees all the evidence around him. Yeah. And he believes it. I will go down. So, chapter 46 is... Uh, Can I ask a question? Oh, absolutely. sure, absolutely. So, this is way off the topic, but the
1: land of Goshen. Yeah. When I was growing up, church ladies or
0: people would use that as kind of a, not an oath, but as a, an expression of good, in the land of Goshen. Did any of you guys ever encounter that or hear that phrase? hmm Is that... Is there a reason for that other than that it's in the Bible? I mean, what? well, I, I I did not grow up with my mom or anybody else saying that. But my my conclusion, or my guess, or my inference I would draw is that land of Gersh is a place of protection, security, and abundance. And so um, it's I would assume it was being used by your mom or whoever in a very positive light. It's a very yeah, positive, positive thing. Yeah. And so I think that's. Um, that's, I think, how it would be used, because that's exactly what it was. Um, in your, um, well, the and what it's on page 26, if you if you have it. You know, Goshen, here's where Jacob lives, there's Hebringer's verse, and all that. Goshen is the eastern side of the delta of the Nile River, because you remember that we mentioned before the Nile is one of those rare rivers on Earth that flows from the south toward the north. That's very rare on planet Earth. It flows from the Russian Central Africa, flows up to the Mediterranean. And the, the, the delta of the Nile is one of the largest deltas on Earth. It's a massive delta. It's enormous. And the whole eastern end is because, uh, I mean, you know a river dumps a lot of, you know, it's rich soil all around it. That's why Egypt was the red of the ancient world, but that Easterns were so much of that fertile land, and that's where Pharaoh puts them. And so it's a very, very massive area. And the other thing about this, the capital is, yeah, here it is. The capital, it is on this map, the capital of Egypt at this time, in the Middle Kingdom, what it's called, is Memphis. And so Memphis and Goshen it's not very far. So that's another reason probably why Joseph wanted them in Goshen and why Pharaoh agreed to put them in Goshen. It's not really far from the imperial capital in Memphis. Now, not too many years, the capital is going to be moved way down south. So it's just, again, the providence of God, that the capital of the Middle Kingdom, the imperial empire, is real north, the northern part of the Nile River Valley. So all of that, and so that, that place of Goshen is just a place of security and protection, and it would be under the protection of Pharaoh, for a long time, until, in the words of the first verses of Exodus chapter 1, a Pharaoh came about who knew not Joseph. He didn't know about Joseph. I think I know who it is. not think of why, but that's not important. And that's when it changes. Then they're enslaved. Why? Because of the population explosion. Goshen is filled with little Jews running everywhere. And they become terrified of this. There are too many in this isolated area of the enslaved.
1: About 2 million people.
0: Eventually, by the time they're ready to leave, after 400 years, they go from a plan of 70 to a a population. The the census that's in Numbers and in Exodus is 600,000 men. So you just extrapolate, you're getting close to 2 million or more if you include children and and, and wives. Now, 46, uh, there's some detail here, and I want to go over that. So I... Israel, remember, that's the covenant named Jacob, took his journey with all he had into to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Now, again, if the maps are important to you, he was in Hebron. Hebron is just a little bit north of Beersheba. Anyway, he's in Hebron, so he goes down to Beersheba. Why does he go to Beersheba? Because that's where his dad is buried. Uh, well, that's not true. His dad's buried in Hebron. That's where his dad had built the altar. He built two altars. He built an altar in Shechem, and he built an altar in Beersheba. And this is where Abraham lived. This is where Isaac lived. So he goes there. Notice what happened in verse 2. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am. I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Now, why does God say that? Because he had said to Abraham, he would said to Isaac, and he said, don't go down to Egypt. Now God's saying, go down to Egypt. <laughs> so he's making sure, he, God, is making sure that Jacob understands, this is my will for you. Go down to Egypt. Why? For I will make you into a great nation. The first element of the Abrahamic covenant will be fulfilled there. Abraham, I will give you descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky, <clears throat> in the sands of the seashore. <clears throat> I have some allergy issues now that all this junk's out in the ear. And so uh when I start talking for a while, I start to cough. So that's what's happening. I don't have COVID I'm not sick. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't want you to be terrified me. <laughs> okay, yeah, thank you. And I, make, well, I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will bring you up again. Joseph's hands shall close your eyes. What does that mean?
1: <coughs>
0: You're gonna die in Egypt. You're die in Egypt. And Jacob sent out from Beersheba, the sons of Israel carried Jacob for their father, their little ones, their wives, the wagons of Pharaoh to carry, sent to carry them. They also took their livestock and their goods, for which they gained in the land of Canaan came into Egypt. Jacob was offering him, sons, 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 daughters, sons, daughters. And they're offering him about with them. Now, what we see in verse 8, down through verse 23, excuse me, actually verse 27, <clears throat> is the itemization of each part of Jacob's clan. I'm not going to read all this if that's alright. But what you see in verses 8 verse 15 are all of the sons of Leah and all the grandsons and so on and it tells you the total was end of verse 15 33 in verse 16 through 18 you have the sons of Zilpah and their grandchildren etc what's the total 16 then you have verse 19 the sons of Rachel Joseph and Benjamin. And the total is 14. And then verse 23, you have the son, and, and following the sons of Bilhah, the other sermon. Total seven. So what I did in my margin is I put 33, 14, 16, 14, and 70, and added them up. What do they get? 70. Which, when I read in verse 27, and all the persons of the house of Jacob who came to Egypt were 70. So this is there's a word for this in the Middle East. It is not in this particular chapter, but the word for this is this is the clan of Jacob. This is his clan. He is the head of his clan. And so it's 70 people. In that number 70 are Joseph and his two sons. So the entire clan of Jacob from which God is going to make the nation of Israel, Totals seventy people. The next four hundred and twenty years, God is going to make this into a nation, as Fred stated earlier, of about two or a little over two million people. It could even be more than that, as God promised He would do up in verse four, and verse three and verse four. So <clears throat> God is working His plan. You can divide the Bible into four parts. It's God's story, his story, history. You have the word creation, Genesis 1 and 2. You have the theme of rebellion, Genesis 2 through 11. And you have the theme of redemption, which is Genesis 12 all the way through Revelation 20. And you have restoration, Revelation 21 and 22. This is a key part of the redemption story. Because God is fulfilling the covenant promises He made to Abraham, that's why this movement of the Jewish people, this clan—I really should say—down to Egypt is a crucial, crucial threshold that's being crossed in God's redemptive plan. The year is eighteen seventy-six BC. Okay. Verse 28, he had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way. Before him in Goshen, excuse me, and they came into the land of Goshen. I showed you on the map where that is. It's hard to know exactly how long this would take, but Beersheba is right on the edge of the Negev desert. And they would have no doubt gone to the west, down to what's called the Via Marsh, that road that hugs the Mediterranean Sea and down to the Goshen. It's a major road, very relatively easy to travel even in the ancient world at this time. It's probably around two and a half weeks, maybe a little more, maybe a little less because they've got children, you know, herds and all that. But it's it's not a great distance actually, as the crow flies. Really, not. But, you know, they're not going as a crow flies. That's because it's a desert. They're going to hug the coast and down. But anyway, so it's not a real long trip. Joseph presented his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. Where's he coming? Coming to the capital, imperial capital, Memphis. He's going up to Goshen. Again, it's not very far. He presented him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I've seen your face. (coughs) No, you're still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds for they have been keepers of livestock and they have been brought their flocks and herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even to now, we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. <coughs> For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians.
1: <coughs> Excuse me, I am really sorry.
0: There is a bit of mystery here that we're not quite clear about historically or biblically. Why were shepherds considered an abomination to the Egyptians? Because what did Joseph say? He's not being deceptive here. But you tell Pharaoh, you're keepers of livestock. And that's true. They had a lot of sheep, but they also had other animals. Don't say you're shepherds. The text says, every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. We really are not sure why. We do know this. The religious sacrifices of sheep, of lambs, was a repugnant practice to the Egyptians. They offered other animals to their gods. For reasons that are not clear in history, they regarded the offering of lambs or sheep to the gods as an abominable thing. It may be that. It may also be because of the uniqueness of the the Jews in offering their, their lambs and so on as sacrifices, that too was part of the separation between the Egyptians and the Jews. And so, David, Joseph is just being very, very cautious here. Do not tell Pharaoh you keep sheep. There's a third possibility here. This is going to come, at really, really a big deal. To the east of Goshen, there are, there's a group of nomadic people. They will become known as the Hyksos. They will conquer the Nile Delta in about 100 years. The Egyptians had been watching them, were fearful of them, and they were nomads. And You know what a nomad is. They're nomadic herders. And that may also factor into this concern. Don't, because these people are from Canaan, right? They're not Egyptians. And even though Pharaoh is welcoming them and embracing them because of Joseph and so on, it's just there's got to be a cultural, ethnic fear here that explains this. And Expositor is just not sure. The text is telling us that they they abhorred shepherds. And it may be all those things together, but I, my personal opinion is it has more to do with their fear of the nomadic raiders to the east. We don't want... Joseph said, I don't want Pharaoh to in any way associate you guys with them, because in not too long of a time, they will destroy the, Egyptian, the middle kingdom of the Egyptian empire, and they will then, they will rule the Nile Delta for a while, and when they are driven out, that's the Pharaoh, Ahmos the first his name, that's the Pharaoh who enslaves the Jews. Because he identifies the Jews with these nomadic invaders from the East. So that's all of this. Aren't you glad I told you that? You'll never remember it. You'll forget it. But I needed, you know, years ago when I was studying all of this, I needed to understand what's going on here. And that was the result of my study. If he doesn't it doesn't make sense, don't worry about it. God will never ask you about that in heaven. But if you really are <laughs> interested, I'm talking about it. All right. We got a few more minutes. <clears throat> My throat settled down a little bit, so I'm glad for that. I really apologize. Verse 47, uh, chapter 47. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come to the land of Canaan. They're now the land of Goshen. And for among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. At this point, we don't know who, which five brothers. We just don't know, but he took five. And Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. <laughs> and when they didn't take his advice, I suppose. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there's no pasture for your servants' flocks, found in the severe land of Canaan. Now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my flocks. Coincidence? Chance?
1: Faith? Because
0: Pharaoh trusted Joseph. Pharaoh is willing to trust Joseph's clan to take care of his flocks. Now what this, the inference we draw here is that Pharaoh's primary flocks were in the eastern end of the delta of the Nile. And so Pharaoh just concludes, you know, it makes a lot of wise sense for me to just let them, because they've done this for generations, take care of my flocks too. (laughs) So now, They, it's just remarkable how God is doing this, they now are today, meaning Jacob's clan, are now tied to the Pharaoh. They're going to watch over his flock. And Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed
1: Pharaoh And
0: Jacob blessed Pharaoh. What? Remember Genesis 12, 3? God says to Abraham, in you all the nations will be blessed. You could translate that word through you, all the nations will be blessed. This isn't arrogance or hubris on the part of Jacob. He's just following logically. He blesses him. It's not Pharaoh blessing Jacob, it's Jacob blessing Pharaoh. This nomadic, unknown guy from Canaan is now before the most powerful man on planet Earth at that time. I mean, that's a pretty accurate statement. And he's blessing you.
1: Abrahamic covenant.
0: Genesis 12 through. As the patriarch of the clan, and Pharaoh then said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? Jacob said, and we would say, hey, how old are you? <laughs> Pharaoh said, and Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of my years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. <laughs> That's really accurate.
1: Well, Jacob's had a pretty tough life. Because he was the deceiver. Yeah.
0: And he lived through the deception and conniving of, his, of Laban. Remember when he was right up and pat him around? And then the deception, the lying of his boys. For over 20-some years, he thought his boy was dead. So when he says this isn't a pity, pity party statement, you know, few and evil have been the days. It's been a tough life. I think he'd be willing to say, a lot of it's my fault, but he doesn't say that. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourn. Jacob blessed Pharaoh again, such a significant statement, and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. So the Bible here, this text here two times, just stresses this, Jacob blessing the Pharaoh. Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12-3, being worked out in history. Verse 11, and Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them possession of the land of Egypt and the best of the land in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. This area, was Ramses um, will become the title of Pharaoh in the the new kingdom of of Egypt and its history, but it's also a name associated with Egyptian god Ra, R-A. That's how we understand that, as Pharaoh commanded. (coughs) these charts in between you know? the brother's his father's his household with food, according to the number of the dependents. Now, <clears throat> what follows in the rest of chapter 47 is how Joseph, um, in, in the very significant power that he has as the second most important person in Egypt, how he administers the remaining five years of the famine. And so that's what this is going to tell us. So I'm going to start it, but I want to stop here before we get into this, because I'm really fairly certain we will finish our study next week. Because what is in 48 and 49 is um, Jacob blessing the two boys of Joseph, in other words, adopting them, making them into the family clan, and then Jacob blessing his, his, his children. He blesses all his sons. And I'm going to not hurry through this, but I have a chart I'm going to give you which summarizes this. And, and then we'll look at chapter 50, which is the, Jacob is dead and the death of, of, uh, of uh, Jacob and all of the things that occur. as so a part promise me, you'll take me to the land, bury me in the promised land, and so on. Either here in the classroom or online, do any of you guys have any questions question about what we've been studying here today? And I've tried to stress the important theology that Joseph reflects in his comments, but also how God so masterfully in his care and providence is putting the Jewish people where they need to go to explode into the nation of Israel.
2: Dr. Ekman? Yes, sir. I I have a quick question. More of an observation, maybe, but when he revealed himself and said, I am Joseph, and obviously they were surprised. Do you think that that's uh, uh, kind of a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in Revelation 1 where it says, um, you know, he they see all everyone sees him and then they recognize Christ Mm -hmm. when he returns and then Israel realizes what they've done?
0: That's a. That's a very uh, that's a very good question, Robin. It's an insightful one. Often, biblical scholars will make a, 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 a connection between Joseph and Jesus. That Joseph in the Old Testament is like a type of Christ. The Greek word is tupos, a type of Christ, and that the Bible says that when when Jesus returns, they will look upon him whom they pierced and believe. Uh, you know, they, they, this is a broad stroke statement. There have been, of course, many exceptions. All the early disciples were Jews. The early converts were Jews. But for the most part, the Jewish people through history have rejected Jesus as a Messiah. But when Christ comes back, and in the Book of Revelation is where all that unfolds, they will look upon Jesus, know who he is, recognize him, and believe. So I, I, I like that typology between Joseph and Jesus, and I do think there is there is a kind. Of a connection there because that, that is exactly what will happen they will look upon jesus they will recognize him and they will believe the, the jewish people were alive when christ uh when christ returned does that get to your comment question
2: yes it it's it was it's interesting because he was concealed to them yes. even though he was interacting with them and having dinners and so forth they Completely did not recognize him. That's exactly right. That's a you're you know you're in a similar situation now with Jesus, where his salvation is concealed, and at some point it will be revealed, and that's that's when they come to that recognition immediately. That's right. So you know that that's a very fascinating story with Joseph and his brothers, how that all came about. It's, It's very interesting. That's right, and there's a real parallel there. I think very good. All right, well, it's uh,
0: a minute or two after uh, almost uh, three minutes now. I think we'll get, get uh, started in next week. And I'll start with verse 13. And, I mean, we're not going to rush, but it's pretty easy to cover. And I'm sort of thinking possibly maybe, although I'll never be certain with this group, we'll finish the book. <laughs> if not, we're going to be very close. So I what I'm going to do this week, I, I'm going to spread back, or I'm going to send it to you. Yeah. I'll send the notes on Romans to joel and then he'll distribute them so you might want to look in your inbox sometime this coming week for the note material uh, on romans it's a big packet because we're going to spend a lot of time in romans okay i'm going to pray here our father i am always thrilled with the study of joseph and particularly his uh, astonishing words to his brothers when he affirms uh god sent me here to preserve life god sent me here to preserve you as his remnant uh, and that's it's it's amazing faith it's amazing understanding in, in a way lord i think we can see he understood the covenant relationship you have with them that you had chosen them to be your covenant people to fulfill that promise of land seed and blessing that you made to abraham lord it's a refreshing book for us because I believe you want us to apply that same kind of understanding of you in our lives. We are your children by faith in Jesus. We belong to you, and in a sense, we should eliminate coincidence and fate and chance and luck because you are superintending the events of our lives to accomplish your purposes. We still are responsible, as the railroad tracks that fit into this, but that amazing trust and understanding that Joseph had. He is one of the great examples of faith, and I believe one of the great understandings of someone who really knew you and really believed and trusted in you, despite the circumstances that were happening to you. May we be similar men of faith who trust you and, despite the circumstances. So thank you for these men. Um, Watch over them as we go separate ways. It's such a warm, humid day. We pray your blessing and watch care over us. May we represent you well as your people. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Mm -hmm. See you next week.